welcome once again to another edition of This Week in Labor. I am your host, Tim Billadu, and let's get right into this week's top stories. Our first story is from InTheseTimes.com and is written by Sasha Kramer, and the title of the article is, For Big Corporations Like Walmart, Wage Theft Penalties Are Just the Price of Doing Business. A scathing new report finds that hundreds of major corporations in the United States are repeat wage theft offenders, committing the violations and then paying the subsequent fines as part of the cost of doing business. Jointly published on June 5th by Good Jobs First and Jobs with Justice Education Fund, the report finds that since 2000, 450 firms have each paid at least $1 million in settlements or judgments related to wage theft, and 600 companies paid a penalty in multiple cases of wage theft, indicating that punitive measures are not deterring these companies' violations. In some cases, the number of settlements and fines was stunning, with Hertz seeing 167 cases since 2000 and Walmart seeing 98 cases and shelling out $1.4 billion. The report is authored by Philip Matera and includes a chapter on policy recommendations written by Adam Shaw. Through a compilation of available lawsuits ranging from January 2000 to the present, Matera finds 4,220 cases filed against large companies where employers were penalized for wage theft to the tune of $9.2 billion total. Matera tells in these times he was shocked by the number of large companies that were involved in wage theft. Quote, I had thought that wage theft would turn out to be mainly an issue for a limited number of large corporations, he said. The fact that it is so pervasive in big business highlights the power imbalance between capital and labor. Wage theft is a practice in which companies withhold their employees' overtime pay, force off-the-clock work, violate minimum wage laws, or steal tips. Victims of wage theft range from low-wage workers like cashiers, cooks, and security guards to higher-paid positions such as nurses, pharmaceutical sales reps, and financial advisors. In the 10 most populous states in the country, 2.4 million workers lose $8 billion annually, which would be an average of $3,300 per year for year-round workers, to minimum wage violations, according to a 2017 report by the Economic Policy Institute, EPI. In 2015 and 2016, a total of $2 billion in stolen wages were recovered for workers by the U.S. Department of Labor that EPI's study found. The biggest players in wage theft are Fortune 500 companies like Walmart, Federal Express, and AT&T, according to the Matera and Shaw report. Five of the top dozen companies heavily penalized were banks and insurance firms, including Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, and State Farm Insurance. Mega corporations account for half of the total cases. Other top industries where wage theft is ubiquitous are within the business services, insurance, and healthcare services industries that that are employed by a predominantly woman workforce. Wage theft also disproportionately affects black and Latino workers who make up a greater percentage of the workforce within the top 10 industries that the report finds are heavily penalized. The fast food industry should be on the top violators list, according to the Matera and Shaw report. However, high-profile companies like McDonald's run on a franchise model, exempting the corporations from signing checks, which allows them to more easily get away with illegal labor practices, like wage theft. In fact, Shaw notes in the report that 90 
9 out of 10 people working in fast food have experienced wage theft. The report is a compilation of the cases in which companies were taken to court to be penalized, where records were made public. Most of the cases hail from California, which is attributable to the state's relatively strong labor code that gives working people greater access to the courts. In most states, wage theft cases proceed through private arbitration, a process usually controlled by the employer that is often lengthy, expensive, and time-consuming, which many wage theft victims simply don't have the means to pursue, according to Xiao's policy analysis of the report. Due to the fact that the data from the private litigation practices are not made public, the results of the report are minimized, cementing the fact that the American workplace is even more rife with wage theft than the report illuminates. Fighting wage theft just became even more difficult thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court's recent ruling, Epic System v. Lewis, that allows corporations to force employees to sign away their rights to engage in collective action. Shaw argues in the report that other states should follow California in implementing anti-wage theft laws to combat the austerity of the Supreme Court's decision. Another strategy to combat wage theft is for workers to unionize, Matera tells in these times, that only a few of the wage theft cases found involved unionized workplaces, emphasizing that the presence of unions seems to keep labor standards abuses in check. Working people who are victims of wage theft must alert government agencies to the theft, but they must also realize that government is never permanently on their side, Shaw tells in these times. The best way to ensure justice in the workplace is to organize and assert their own power. Our next story comes to us from the CJ Online, also known as the TopekaCapitalJournal.com. And the title of the story is Union Rejects Topeka Frito-Lay Contract Over Wages. This article is written by Luke Ranker. Union workers at the Topeka Frito-Lay plant this week voted down a new contract citing stagnant wages and a federal mediator will be brought in next month, a union representative said Thursday. Brad Schmidt, international representative for the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers Union was called in to help Topeka's local 218 with negotiations, which took place last week. Union workers rejected a contract proposing a 1% wage increase plus bonuses on Wednesday, he said. The problem the whole time has been a lack of wage increases. Midwest wage increases average about 2 to 2.5% per year, Schmidt said. He negotiates more than 30 wage increases a year for the union and said Topeka is unique. In the last three-year contract, which expired in September, workers received a 1% bonus for years one and two, which amounted to $600 to $800 for most workers, and a 1% wage increase in the third year. In April, union workers rejected a contract that also proposed bonuses and a 1% wage increase. After taxes, that's really not much, Schmidt said. It's an increase, but you're not building anything. The union has contacted a mediator from the U.S. Department of Labor to help with negotiations. A meeting hasn't been scheduled, but Schmidt said negotiations will likely resume in July. Joan Cetera, a spokeswoman for PepsiCo Frito-Lay's parent company, said the company wouldn't comment on pending negotiations. Between 450 and 500 of the plant's workers are represented by the union. BCTWGM has about 700 union workers in Topeka alone. Some Frito-Lay union workers held informational pickets earlier this month to protest low-wage growth. One worker noted that the company's CEO earned $30 
million, and that PepsiCo, which owns Frito-Lay, has recorded strong profits. In current and past negotiations, company officials have said their willingness to wage increases for some classifications of Frito-Lay workers is because their wages are above others in the Topeka market, Schmidt previously said. Schmidt, a longtime Topeka Frito-Lay worker, started at the plant in 1972 when there were about 125 people working there. He said the facility is a good place to work and has an excellent environment. When he retired, he began working as a representative for the International Union, offering negotiation and bargaining support to local branches across the Midwest. When the last three-year contract was negotiated in 2015, frustrations about the failure to raise wages and about pay cuts in some areas, workers voted two to one against strikes. story this week comes from tvtechnology.com and is written by Phil Kurz. The title is Unions Take Aim at Sinclair Tribune Merger. The Communication Workers of America, the National Association of Broadcast Employees and Technicians, the CWA, and the News Guild, CWA, filed a petition with the FCC June 20th to deny applications from Tribune Media Company and Sinclair Broadcast Group to transfer control of 42 Tribune TV stations and other media media holdings to Sinclair. Quote, Sinclair and Tribune have failed to demonstrate in their application and in the ensuing months that any purported merger-related benefits exceed the substantial public interest harms, the CWA petition said. On the contrary, it remains clear that the Sinclair-Tribune merger does not serve the public interest because it would violate the congressionally mandated 39% national audience cap, reduce competition, harm localism, eliminate jobs, and diminish viewpoint diversity, saying the post-merger Sinclair would be the largest broadcaster in the country. The petition asserted that the company would have a footprint reaching 72% of the U.S. of U.S. US TV households, even with Sinclair's latest divestiture amendments, New Sinclair would own or operate 215 stations in 102 markets, reaching 59% of television households and violating the cap by 20%. The petition also objected to Sinclair's use of joint service agreements and shared service agreements called sidecar agreements and their application post-merger. If the merger is approved, Sinclair would have a controlled duopoly or sidecar arrangement in 63 television markets or almost 60% of the merged company's total market. The UHF discount also plays a role in allowing Sinclair to slide beneath the 39% national audience cap, the petition said. The technical disparity between UHF and VHF no longer exists, and the recent FCC decision to reinstate the discount is under court review, it said. The petition called on the agency to postpone any ruling on the merger until after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. District Court rules on the UHF discount, which is expected in August. Further, the petition contended that allowing the merger to go forward would reduce viewpoint diversity and localism, especially for marginalized groups like communities of color and low-income households, which are heavy consumers of local TV news. In particular, the petition called out Sinclair's corporate editorial policy requiring its stations to air must-run segments. That policy compounds the serious merger-related harms to localism and viewpoint diversity. Allowing the merger to go forward would also result in significant job losses based on Sinclair's history. It pointed to several examples of job losses, including KOMO in Seattle, WNWO in Toledo, Ohio, WUHF in Rochester, New York, WXLV in Greensboro, North Carolina, and others. Over the past decade, Sinclair has reduced workers per station by more than 8%. The filing also took issue with Sinclair's plan to divest of some stations 
to win approval for the deal. Six of the 23 stations Sinclair has identified for divestiture have close ties to Sinclair. For example, Sinclair poses to sell KDAF in Dallas and KIAH in Houston to Cunningham Broadcaster, which is owned by investment banker Michael Anderson, who has close ties to Sinclair's owners. Our final story this week comes from the Huffington Post and was written by Rebecca Klein. It's titled, Teacher and Civil Rights Groups File Complaint Over Family Separation. Teachers, unions, and civil rights groups filed a human rights complaint at the United Nations Wednesday morning over the Trump administration's policy of separating families caught illegally crossing the border. The zero-tolerance policy designed to deter illegal border crossing puts parents in jail while children are placed in detention centers. It resulted in nearly 2,000 children being separated from their parents from mid-April through May. Education and civil rights groups have decried the policy as inhumane. In filing a formal complaint with the UN Human Rights Council, the nation's two teachers unions, as well as civil rights groups like the NAACP and the Hispanic Federation are claiming that the policy violates international treaties such as the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the Convention Relating to the Status of Refugees. Notably, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley announced Tuesday that the U.S. was leaving the Human Rights Council saying that the body has failed to hold abusers of human rights accountable. The trauma caused by family separation is heinous under any circumstances, particularly in civil society centered on family values, the groups say in the complaint. It is intolerable and unlawful to separate families who have sacrificed everything to escape the toxic circumstances of their home countries. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, told HuffPost that this issue especially resonates with the teachers she represents. We love children. These kids should actually be be in schools and with their parents and with their families, not separated from them, one garden said. We believe in helping children thrive, not in confining them to heinous, abusive situations. That's going to do it for this week's episode of This Week in Labor. Do not forget to follow or subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you once again, and in solidarity, this has been Tim Billiton. one big union you've got to join it by yourself everybody here will join it with you you've got to join the one big union by yourself if that road gets rough and rocky if the hills get steep and high we will sing as we go marching and we'll win one big union by and by. Brothers gotta join that one big union. Brothers gotta join it by himself. Everybody here will join it with him. Brothers gotta join the one big union by himself. Sisters gotta join that one big union. Sisters gotta join it by herself. Everybody here will join it with her. 
sister got to join the one big union by herself. Everybody got to join that one big union. Everybody got to join it by themselves. Everybody here will join it with them. Yes, they will. Everybody join the one big union by themselves. I'm going to join that one big union. I'm gonna join it by myself Don't want nobody to join it for me I'm gonna join one big union by myself I'm gonna join that one big union Yes, I am I'm gonna join it by myself Don't want nobody to join it for me I'm gonna join one big union by myself 